How do I get my in-laws to understand how painful it is to be around other babies after losing my baby? This episode is really for everybody because even if you have not experienced loss yourself, guaranteed you have a friend, a sister, a cousin, a sister-in-law, a coworker who has gone through this experience of pregnancy loss or infant loss. And today's episode is going to help you to be able to support them better as well as to get better support if you are a grieving mom who has lost her baby. So I'm glad that you are here having this conversation with me. You are listening to the Bold as Love podcast, and I'm your host, April Boyd. I'm a psychotherapist and coach, and this question, if you've been following me for a while, you know is very near and dear to my heart. So I want to thank the person who sent this question in to me. Because I absolutely know that this can be very gut-wrenching and that this is a part of the really confusing, risky, challenging territory that we end up having to navigate with our friends and family after loss. So I'm going to share a few things with you that you can just check in with, see how that lands for you, see how it fits with your situation and the people in your life. But I'm going to share some ideas and some tips and some questions that you can ask yourself that are going to help you to get a lot more grounded and empowered and in less pain as you're going through this experience. So the first thing that I want to say, of course, is that none of this is intended to replace individual therapy. Um, This is, of course, just me offering some ideas, but this is not a replacement for a senior doctor or doing one-to-one work with a therapist like myself or somebody else that might be local to you. This is just an opportunity to get some extra support through this medium. So thank you for being here with me. The first question that comes to mind as I read this question is, what are you hoping this will change? So if your in-laws suddenly got it, if they were suddenly much more understanding, what exactly is it, is it that you are hoping will shift as a result of them understanding you better? And this can be really helpful because it's going to kind of shift the direction that you go with some of this. So it's good to really check in. Are you wanting less pressure to attend all the family functions? Are you wanting more willingness to change up some of the traditions and expectations? Are you wanting less judgment? What is it exactly in your situation that you're hoping that this shift in their understanding level and their empathy level is going to do for you? Take a moment just to check in on that. The next thing that I want to offer is consider what you might be bumping up against here. So obviously this is different for everybody and in all family dynamics, but I'm going to share with you some of the common barriers that I've seen come up again and again when I'm talking to somebody who's trying to interact with family members or friends that maybe don't understand their grief and don't understand their process and don't understand what their needs are. And this again is going to help you to Choose the best course of action that fits for you in your situation. 
So one of the things that often occurs is when there is a disconnect between us and let's say your in-laws or your family members and they're not quite getting it. Maybe you're getting that bit of pressure to move on. Maybe you're feeling a little bit kind of judged or criticized. Maybe it just feels like they're just not even really acknowledging what you have been through at all. One of the things that I've sometimes come to see is there often is just a generational difference. And let me explain a little bit about what I mean. So in past generations, it was truly considered that the kindest thing that you could do if somebody lost a baby was never speak of it again. That was how the hospitals did things in many places. That is still how the hospitals and healthcare workers are, are trained to do things. And of course, not everywhere, but there are still places where that occurs. And I know it does because I hear it from women time and time again, where essentially the message that they get is just never think about this again. Now, there's places that do that really well, and they encourage, you know, the full grieving process. They encourage that ongoing connection, that ongoing relationship, but and memory-making. But there's many people, particularly of past generations, who have honestly become ingrained with this cultural belief that The best thing that they could do for somebody who has lost a baby or pregnancy is kind of just not talk about it ever again. And that's awful, right? That's so painful, so, so painful, because now we're alone in the midst of all that pain, right? It's one thing when we are suffering and we're, we're grieving and our heart has been smashed into a million pieces but at least we're kind of bolstered up a little bit and we have some people that we can kind of collapse onto that little bit. It's a whole other dance when we find ourselves kind of alone in that or more alone than what we anticipated that we would be. So one of the things that you might be bumping up against here is a generational taboo. And it can be helpful just to consider that that might be a part of what's happening for you, just so that we can start to take it less personally. It's not necessarily that they have deemed your loss as being unworthy of their support. It's just not a map that they have any route to comprehend. The other things that we're sometimes bumping into is a lack of emotional intelligence or lack of emotional maturity. And you've maybe heard me share this story before where I was talking to a woman one time and she was talking about how her uh, family, her in-laws were really not supporting her and her husband after experience the loss of a baby. They would kind of just change the topic. They would get visibly uncomfortable if she would bring up her baby or her loss. And that was hurtful and really just expected them to go back to, you know, all the all the habits and all the expectations that they had been doing before, like nothing had ever happened. And this was really hurtful for her, of course. And I remember asking her, you know, when you think about that in-law, do you see them ever going to that deeper place, that more emotional place, that really present, connected place? with anybody else in their lives? 
Do they do that with their friends? Do they do that with other family members? Do you see them going deep (laughs) and leaning into the hard stuff anywhere? And she laughed and of course was like, no, not at all. I'm like, that is really important to notice. That is really important to step back and notice because part of what happens is when somebody's not supporting us, we can start to create either a story about what they think about us that's often really negative and wrecks havoc on that relationship, or we come up with a story about them that becomes really attacking as well and that doesn't feel good. And it's possible that we just have to kind of shift our expectations that If somebody does not have meaningful, deeper, sensitive conversations with anybody else in their life, what are the chances that they are suddenly going to completely alchemize their entire conditioning, their entire personality, their entire range of of lived experience to be able to now offer that to you? How could it be possible that you could be the one exception in their life? And it's hard to see that when we're grieving, right? Because our grief is so big that we're just sitting with the massive weight of it all. And so it feels almost incomprehensible how somebody would not be able to be there to support us in the way that you need and deserve. But you need to check the source. And there's a really, really good chance that this has nothing to do with you, nothing to do with their judgments of you, nothing to do with how well you're handling this or not handling this. This really often is just about other people's threshold, other people's tolerance for emotional richness, their ability to withstand, you know, even thinking about the heartbreaks in their own lives. Because when you think about it, for them to be able to start offering this to you, they would have to change every other relationship in their entire life. And it's wild to think about what the ripple effect of that might be. Maybe that would end up destroying their marriage because their marriage would not be able to grow with them. Maybe they would lose their job because suddenly they couldn't just, you know, be a robot anymore in that position. Who knows? The point that I want you to really consider is... You have to check your expectations a little bit, and it absolutely does not mean that you are wrong to need what you need, to want to feel supported, to want to feel understood, to want to feel not so alone in all of this, but you've got to go to the people that are able to offer you that, right? Which is why I use that expression of you can't go to McDonald's and try to order filet mignon. (laughs) You have to go to the people that are able to give you what you absolutely deserve and are so very worthy of. The next thing that I want you to consider is when we're dealing with somebody who's not been able to really meet our need in this way, we have to really think about where else can you take this need so that it can be met with some kindness and some care and some consideration. And one of the things that sometimes helps for the people, I think there's sometimes two camps of people, right? There's the people that 
Well, there's probably three camps of people. There's the people that get it and you don't have to explain it because they just know this is a really big deal, right? And then there's the people that don't really get it intuitively, but would maybe get it if you you were to explain it to them a little bit. And then there's a third camp, kind of like I was talking to earlier, that it would probably change and unravel every other part of their life if they somehow, you know, manifested this quality to go deep with you, right, and meet you in that in that dark place. Now, let's talk about that middle ground people, the people that don't intuitively get it, but there's some hope there. One of the things that I've come to believe that makes this territory of navigating uh, seeing other babies so difficult after we've experienced the loss of a baby is that every baby looks like your baby. Every commercial looks like your baby. Every young family member looks like your baby. Every kid you cross paths with in the grocery store who's being pushed in their stroller looks like our baby, right? Because they just do. So I sometimes explain it to people like this. Imagine that you were married to your husband and he passed away, but he has a twin brother who is identical to him. He has an identical twin brother. People would understand why that would be really weird for you. People would understand why you would not want to go and have coffee at his house, or maybe it would be too much to sit across from them at the Christmas gathering or holiday gathering table, right? That would be very much an obvious thing, right? We would kind of say, of course, that must be so awkward for her to sit across from somebody who looks exactly like her deceased husband. But people don't realize that that is what is happening to us all day, every day, when you've lost a baby. So it might be helpful if that example resonates with you, it might be helpful to just tuck that away in your back pocket so that when you do need to ask for more understanding and give people that opportunity, you can explain that to them a little bit more. Because I know, for instance, I had done a recent podcast um, with She Found Motherhood, who are these really wonderful doctors um, out in Victoria, I believe. You can find them on Instagram at She Found Motherhood. And what they, oh yeah, what we were talking about was I shared with her that example. And we were talking about that gap that sometimes happens between someone who has lost their pregnancy or baby and the friend that has a newborn, right? And what she shared on the podcast was that, as we were talking about this live, was that, you know, she was a friend that had had the baby and didn't really understand why her friend was distancing from her. And I really empathize with both positions there, right? Because I understand, you know, now that it's been a long time since my loss, I now understand that, of course, you know, as a new mom, that's its own whole big circle of challenges and changes, right? And that's a really, really, really big deal. And the needs of that are complete and polar opposite of the needs of someone who has just lost a baby. So these two worlds just don't really line up very well, right? 
the mom with the newborn is maybe needing some company, somebody to hold the baby for a little bit so she can even just give her arms a break. And the woman who has lost a baby can't offer those things. It's just way too painful. It would be like hugging the twin brother of your deceased husband, right? Like, of course, that is going to crack you wide open. Of course, that is going to shatter you. And this is what we're bumping up against when we're looking at life after loss and navigating, you know, all of the babies and pregnancies and pregnancy announcements in our family. And so, you know, my my last thing that I really want to offer is you need to just bring a ton of self-compassion to yourself as you're moving through this because there's parts of this that are just hard. It is just a built-in part of that process where it's kind of like we can't go around it, can't go over it, can't go under it. It is just hard. And navigating our social landscape becomes one of those things where suddenly you know, without anybody intending it to be this way, we end up kind of bumping up against a lot of sharp edges that kind of tear at our flesh and crack open our heart that little bit. And nobody's really necessarily understanding that that's happening as we're just sitting there kind of flinching over and over again. So what I would encourage you to maybe consider is if you've tried to get a bit of understanding right? And and this might just be, you know, educating people. I sometimes say, you, you know, we're forced to be in this role of educating people and, and you don't, you're not obligated for that. You certainly don't have to rise to that occasion all the time. I don't rise to that occasion all the time. There's times when I just don't have the energy and that's not where I want to go. But we are often, you know, against our own will, placed in this position of being the educator. And so we're having to kind of challenge some of these cultural ideas and these society notions that say things like, you know, you just need to move on, right? So there's these lingering preconceptions that, you know, if somebody had kept the nursery still up, that that's a sign that she's not doing well. If somebody had kept little mementos of their bereaved child or lost pregnancy, that somehow she's, you know, hanging on to this in a really unhealthy way. And that's actually just really old school because we've done a lot of research since then. And we know that in some ways, not being allowed to grieve actually is way more traumatic and short circuits us from so many parts of what maybe could have been moments of connection, moments of some beauty mixed into all of that dark, hard stuff, moments of some identity creation of what it is that we want to create with our lives now, right? And we're just cut off from all of that, right? Both the agonizing and the what do we do with this now kind of soul-hearted questions, So it is, you know, I always say to women who have gone through this, unfortunately, you're being forced to be a bit of a trailblazer here 
because we are at this point of history where things are starting to change and that now there's blogs out there, now there's groups out there, now there's supports out there like the Love and Loss Project, which is the one that I created, of course. But we're not quite there yet in terms of society really getting it. And one of the most obvious examples to me of this I always kind of look when I'm in um, a store that has a card section, I always look to see if they have a section for pregnancy loss or baby loss. And I think I've literally just seen that once, (laughs) right? And like, it was such an amazing, wonderful surprise when I saw that. So when you think about that, if that's what our card sections show, right, of here's the important stuff in people's lives, not even important. Here's the speakable stuff in people's lives. This is what we end up, that's on the cultural level, but this is what we end up bumping into all of the time on the interpersonal level. So consider there might be moments when you move into that educator role of trying to, you know, let people know that, you know, I'm actually doing fine. This does not mean I'm not coping well. This is how we're choosing to move through our grief, right? Or here's what this would look like if this was somebody's husband who died and you were expecting them to hang out with their twin brother, right? There's moments when we can kind of gently and lovingly be the educator, but there's also times when you need to self-protect. There's times when you need to kind of get honest with yourself to say if I've tried to do some of those understanding conversations and the person just doesn't acknowledge the reality of this massive life event that we've gone through and just expects us to sit at their table and talk about the weather and talk about the other members of the family like everything is fine and normal. You might want to consider, you know, some self-protection strategies like reducing contact, sparing yourself from some of the risk and suffering that happens when we put ourselves into social situations with people that are not really able to meet us where we're at, that are not really able to understand what it is that you are actually carrying and the bigness of that. So I hope that this was useful for you. If you have questions or thoughts that have come up, feel free to message me. I'm at withloveapril on Instagram. And as the time that I'm recording this, I still have some spots open for the Bold as Love Boot Camp, which is a gathering of women who want to talk about healing, who want to talk about growing, who want to talk about how we're just moving into who it is that we want to be. And that's often the question that I ask through all of this stuff. Who do you want to be through this? Because this is the only part that you have control over. You can't control who somebody else is through your grief. You can only control who it is that you are. And of course, that's going to vary hour by hour and day by day. But this is the guiding question that I want to leave you with. Who do you want to be? What is it that you need to carry with you? And who is it that is in your life who is well-equipped to help you carry that? 
This is a good time to consider getting some extra support like counseling or joining a group. There is tons online. You can always check that out. And if you're having trouble finding resources, message me. Again, I'm Matt with Love April. Take care. Bye.